with us for the first time today, we welcome you and greet you. Um, we would like to meet you. Uh, Pastor Bill, who just received the offering, will be uh, up here at the end of the service. So if you're here for the first time, please see him before you go home. Uh, we just want to touch base with you and welcome you here a little bit more formally. Um, some of you I, I see here today, good to have you. Some we haven't seen in a while, so welcome back. Um, I think there's a few that are here maybe for the first time in a long time. And uh, as you can see, the sanctuary's been fixed up a little bit. Got a brand new carpet. No coffee stains on the carpet. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. And uh, <laughs> so we're moving forward in the things of God. Hallelujah. Rebecca Ritchie, our intern from North Point, I'm going to call upon you to pray for the offering at the end of the sermon today. If so, just be thinking about it. All right, so uh, take your Bible, if you would. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. Uh, as you're turning there, let me just remind you, on Thursday, uh, there is a discipleship class at 6 o'clock. So if you're a new believer or need a refresher in uh, some of the basics of the faith, we welcome you to come to that. Uh, Pastor Bill is teaching that Thursday in-house at 6 o'clock. And Thursday at 7 o'clock is a Zoom meeting for men, men's Zoom meeting with Pastor Wayne Zanke. Uh, Friday is a Zoom meeting for the ladies. So we'll try to get all that information out to you. It will be on our Facebook page if you need a reminder. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 4. I'm not going to be reading it just yet. Just keep your finger there. And I want to pray for this uh, sermon. And then uh, I want to get into it. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you for this time in this service, Lord, to hear from your word. Lord, we ask you in the name and authority of Jesus Christ that you would speak to our hearts in such a way that we, without any doubt, we would know that we've heard from God today. I ask you, Lord, to anoint me with your spirit that I may bring forth the word that you put on my heart to share. Let me be clear. Let it not be difficult to understand. Let it be applicable as well. Let it change our lives, O God. And let it bring glory and honor and praise to you, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, come teach us now as we get into your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So, amen, that's right. So we've entitled the message today, The Name. The Name. And uh, we're going to be talking about the name of the Lord. But how many of you have a name? Does everyone have a name? Everyone has a name. If we have nothing else, we at least have a name. Some of us have nicknames. But names are very important. Names identify who we are. It's, it's who, how, how we're known, by our name. They have meaning, they have significance. So I just want to give you br- briefly, when, uh, when our children were born, um, I was kind of ignorant to the whole process of naming babies at the time. I didn't realize there was basically a whole industry out there that had b- names of baby books written. And there's millions of names that you could pick, and I, I never thought of it, you know. But anyway, we, we, we realized we wanted to name our kids you know, with names that had meaning. So Stacy's name comes from the name Anastasia. It's an abbreviated form of Anastasia, which means of the resurrection. So Stacy was born on Palm Sunday that year. So we wanted a name that reflected her being born around that time. It means of the resurrection. It means springtime and new life as well. Jeffrey's name, uh, Jeffrey was born with some medical difficulties, had to be transferred to a large hospital in New York City, and, uh, and, and they needed to know his name, like immediately. So we gave him the name of Jeffrey, because Jeffrey means God's peace. 
the peace of God. And he needed God's peace on him, and we needed God's peace during a difficult time when he was born. And then Betsy came, and uh, Betsy, Betsy's name comes actually from Elizabeth. Uh, that name means God is my oath. So we named her Betsy as a way to proclaim God's blessing over her and God's oath and God's promises over her and over us as we raised her. Uh, my name, Richard, actually means the lion-hearted. Did you know that? Richard the Lionhearted? But that's what the name means. I don't think my parents named me that with that in mind. And Pamela's name means all honey. So if you look it up, what is Pamela? It means all honey. So I call her all honey every now and then. I don't think her parents named her that because of that, but uh, she inherited that name, I guess. It came, comes with the, the title. But I say all that to say today we want to talk about a name that is quite unique although common at the time in which he lived. This is a name of great significance and great importance, great meaning. And it always causes a reaction, this name. It often causes a disturbance. And sometimes the name is honored, and sometimes the name is dishonored. Sometimes it's taken in vain, although it's a bad word. So this name is unusual because in some, in some instances it's honored and revered. In other instances it's used as a bad word. It's kind of unusual that a name would have both types of meanings. But this name is powerful and this name is also delicate. This name shakes the heavens and at this name, at this name demons tremble. But yet demons also worship the person represented by that name. People wonder about this name. I think people oftentimes, when they put their head on a pillow at night, they wonder about Jesus. They wonder about this name. Sinners either rejoice at this name, or they reject the name and pay the consequences later. Of course, this name is the name of Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua in the Hebrew, meaning God saves the anointed one, the Christ, the Christos, Jesus Christos, Jesus, the anointed one who saves, God who saves. And with this name uh, comes the significance of deliverer, rescuer, healer, savior, baptizer in the Holy Spirit. All that is associated with this name. And this name is not only the earthly name of God when he was on earth, when he lived a sinless life and gave his life and died on the cross and rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. It also signifies the name and mission of the Lord in heaven and in hell. So in Acts chapter 4, uh, the story actually begins in Acts chapter 3. So I want to go through the story of this and get into uh, the meaning of the name that we're talking about. And I, how, how good God is that the word that came forward today with the tongues and interpretation had to do with the name of the Lord. When I heard that, I knew they didn't know because they weren't here. But when I heard that, I knew that God was doing something in this place. And I'm convinced more than ever before that as we proclaim, and I've heard it my whole Christian life, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. But we cannot take that phrase lightly. Because in the name of Jesus, demons tremble. And, and things are shaken. Heavens are shaken by the name and authority of Jesus. So that has tremendous implications for us today. So in Acts chapter 3, just follow along with me. I'm looking at chapter 3, verse 1, first couple of verses. Peter and John are on their way to go to the temple. 
and they're going to pray. As they're making their way up to the temple, they come across a, a lame man who's sitting there by the gate begging for alms, begging for money. And uh, so he sees Peter and John about to go in. He asks for, for alms from them. And, and verse 4, fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter says to the man, look at us. I, I, and I wish, uh, you know, I always think of things like in, in movie settings. Like, what a moment. Look at us. Uh, pick Peter saying, hey, hey, listen, look at, and that guy's probably saying, oh, he's going to give me something now. And Peter says in verse, uh, verse number um, 6, famous line of scripture. He says, look, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And so he, he took him by the right, verse number seven, by the right hand and, and lifted him up. You, could you picture it? And the guy immediately leaps to his feet, receives strength. He stood up and he's praising the Lord. And together they go in to worship the Lord in the temple. A glorious miracle happened. And uh, verse number uh, nine, people saw him. They were praising God. And, and verse number 11, everyone was amazed that this man was risen and he was now whole. They knew him his whole life as a crippled. Now he's whole. And now he's in the temple praying with Peter and John. So the story goes on. The rest of chapter 3, Peter's preaching. And then chapter 4 comes. And the first verse of chapter 4, as they spoke to the people, that's Peter and John, uh, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them. And, and they were greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So the, the authorities are upset that they're preaching in the name of Jesus. And so verse 3 tells us they locked him up and put him in jail. But verse 4 tells us that in spite of all of that, 5,000 souls came to know Jesus as a result of them preaching in the name of Jesus. So the story picks up in verse number 5. That's where I wanted to get to. It came to pass on the next day that the rulers, the elders, the scribes, as well as some specific people that were obviously important people, Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, they were gathered together in Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the middle of them, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? Good question, isn't it? How have you done what you did? And I'm, when I first read this, I'm thinking, well, what are they referring to? Because in John, uh, Acts 3, 6, the layman was healed. In Acts 4, 2, they were preaching the resurrection in the name of Jesus. In Acts 4, 4, 5,000 people got saved. So what were they, they, they knew these guys had something. But by what power, by what name were you doing these things? And Peter, verse number 8, again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's empowered with the Holy Spirit. Verse number 8, he says to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. I mean, don't, don't you just think about it. Here's Peter. You know, Peter now filled with the Holy Spirit. We know him from Acts 2 as being filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaiming the word of God. But think back just a little bit before we see Peter cowering. I don't know the man. But now he's empowered, preaching, teaching. And he's saying, look, I'm telling you guys, you, you rulers of the people, you elders... If this day were judged for a good deed done to a, hope, a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? If you want to know that, well, let me tell you why. 
In verse number 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. It's not through the name of Peter. It's not through the name of John. It's not through the name of James or Andrew or Thomas. It's not through Moses or David or Abraham, Isaac or Jacob. It's through the name of Jesus. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. And we're preaching him. And by that name and authority, this guy is now well and whole. So when you ask a question... Uh, Paul Peter saying, I'm giving you an answer. It's the name and authority of Jesus Christ that this man who was lame is now made whole. But he doesn't stop there. This is what happens when you're under the anointing. He could have stopped right there and just said, uh, okay, that's it. The next verse, verse 11 says, this, this one, this name represents the stone that you builders rejected. He came to Israel as the chief cornerstone and you rejected him. That's the one who healed this man. And then he goes on in verse number 12, as though healing were not enough. Because not only that, but salvation can never be attained by any other means other than the name of this person. The name of Jesus Christ. So, there's power in the name of Jesus. Don't we sing that song sometimes? To break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. There's power in the name of Jesus. Let's look at some scriptures here. I, I was going back and thinking of some of the Old Testament scriptures, like in Joel 2.32. Peter quotes when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.21. But in Joel 2.32, the prophecy says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Delivered is used. When Peter repeats it in Acts 2... 21, he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the word delivered and saved are used interchangeably. But lately, I have to tell you, I've been praying for certain people that I love, that God would deliver them, not only save them, but but deliver them from darkness and sin. They can't see. They can't see the things of God. And we could talk till we're blue in the face, but if God delivers them, They'll be set free to see the things of God. So so they're being delivered and saved from sin, darkness, from entrapment. And they're being released to grace and to freedom and to salvation. Through the name of Jesus Christ. We we, we must honor and and revere the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts 3.6, the man was healed by the name of Jesus In Acts 4.12, salvation is given by no other means other than the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, 9-12 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So yes, this name has power. This name has authority. This name has healing. This name has deliverance. This name has salvation. All over it. The name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I, I, in my studies for this, I came across two verses I wanted to share that never caught my attention before, but they did now. In Mark 3.11, it's a simple little verse. It says, unclean spirits... When they saw Jesus come by, they fell down and cried out, 
You are the Son of God. Even demonic spirits, unclean spirits, recognize the name and authority of Jesus Christ. And they bow down before him. In Mark chapter 5, the story of the demoniac in the garden, or in the cemetery rather, the one who was cutting himself and crying out, everyone thought he was, he was crazy, which he probably was. But when he saw Jesus, it says in Mark 5, 6, uh, he, he fell down and worshipped Jesus. And then Jesus uh, rebuked the legion of demons that were inside of him. Then he was sitting and clothed in his right mind. But I find it interesting, even a demon-possessed person could take time to worship God, because even demons bow down to this name and this authority. So back in Acts 4, 7, by what power or what name do you do this? Well, the name of Jesus does some powerful things. In verse number 2, chapter 4, verse 2, the name of Jesus disturbs some people. You ever notice? Talk about God all you want. Talk about Jesus, you get a reaction. The name of Jesus disturbs some people. Verse 4, 4, 4. The name of Jesus saves some people. In this case, 5,000. Verse 12, there's no other name by which people could get saved. The name of Jesus. But look at verse uh, 4, 13. The name and authority of Jesus affects people. Peter and John, it says in verse 13, the people saw the boldness of Peter and John because Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. They knew they were uneducated, unlearned men. But they saw their boldness and they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. When we spend time with Jesus and the power of his name, we benefit from it. I said this a few weeks ago, not even really the full extent of what I was saying. Sometimes when you preach, when you say things, you know what I mean. You say things under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But what I said was, I was encouraging everyone to pray. I think it was during the Lord's Prayer sermon. But I said, you can't spend time in prayer over a period of time and, and stay the same. You know, you will change because you're spending time with God. And I, I said it, and I, I thought about it ever since, actually. And I realized that that is such a true and powerful statement. That was from the unction of the Holy Spirit. And I, we were encouraging people, make sure you spend time in the morning to pray, or whatever. If you could spend the first half hour of your day in prayer, if, it, if you have to change your life or change your situation, if you do that for a while, I don't know how long, but if you do that consistently, you will change. Simply because you have spent time in the presence of a living God. I see that happening in my life, and I'm amazed that God is so faithful and God is so true to his word. But here in verse 13, they knew Peter and John were not educated, they weren't trained, but they knew they had a boldness. They knew they, they must have been with Jesus. And verse 14 says, uh, some people, the name of Jesus leaves them speechless. Some people, they didn't know what to say. Seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they couldn't say anything against it. Because they saw the results of the name of Jesus being personified in that guy's life. If we were going to Acts chapter 10, in verse 43, we have a little thing where, where, where Peter is speaking to Cornelius, the Gentile. He says to him, to the Lord, all the prophets witness that through his name, Whoever believes in him will receive forgiveness and remission of sins. So there is forgiveness and remission of sins 
through the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know what that does for you. To me, it gives me relief. It makes me realize, man, and I try to do good, and I always try to do good, but I will never be good enough. But through the name of Jesus, I'm accepted by him. He forgives me, and he empowers me. So when we call upon God in the name of Jesus, he hears us. He communes with us. We don't call upon God in the name of Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or some other world religious name or some other person. We call upon God in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, the Holy One. Some of you may have heard this story I want to share with you, but it really makes a good point of coming in the name of someone. Many years ago, when I was a young man, uh, I, was a, I was a house painter. And I worked for my father, who was the, uh, the president of the, of the Rochester Painters. It wasn't a big company. He had maybe four or five workers consistently. But he, he, my father was a great painting contractor and painter. Well, one day, as I'm working with him, he tells me to go to the local paint store to pick up the order of paint for that day's job. And it wasn't a small order. It was a big order of paint. My father had a large account with this company, with this paint store. But they didn't know who I was. I was just a young guy at the time. And I walked into the store. And, and so my father said, yeah, go get the paint. I'll meet you at the job. I said, okay. So I go to this paint store. Nobody knows me. And, and it seemed like everybody in the world was in front of me all of a sudden. I was like lost in the, in the crowd. No one, I was like one of the guys waiting my turn. And I was waiting 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever. Long time, I thought. And finally, when, it was, when I got up to the desk, the, the guy says, how can I help you? I said, well, I'm here uh, to pick up an order for Pat Amendola and Rochester Painters. You would have think I just won the lotto, for goodness sakes. He, he started to cater to me like I was somebody really, really important because I was coming in the name of my father. And he treated me with such respect and kindness. Do I need anything else? Throw in a few more stirrers and get him already carried out to the car. I was like a big shot all of a sudden because I came in the name of my father. But in the same way, when we come to God in the name of Jesus Christ, we get God's attention. He hears us. He fellowships with us. He communes with us in the name and authority of Jesus. Hallelujah. So I want to give you, I want to give you three aspects of the name of Jesus. And then we want to conclude today by having a time of communion. But the first aspect of this name that's really important to remember is that this name is not like any other name. It's not like your name or my name. This is a totally, 100% holy name. It's a holy name. If we were to go back, and I I don't want to spend too much time with it, but Acts 3.14, in Peter's second sermon, he's speaking to the people of Israel, and he says, you have denied the Holy One. You denied Christ, the Holy One, and you wanted the murderer, you wanted Barabbas instead, but you denied the Holy One. In Acts 4.27, in their prayer time, the disciples are praying to God, and they say, oh God, your holy servant Jesus uh, was, was rebuked by Herod and Pilate. But the word holy is used to describe Jesus, our Lord. Old Testament, New Testament. He's the Holy One of Israel. The story of the demoniac in Luke chapter 4 is recorded in Luke's gospel. The demoniac says to Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. So this name represents a holy Savior. He's 
consecrated. He's set apart. He's sinless. He knew no sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He's the perfect Lamb of God. He's the only one that was acceptable to the Father to atone for our sins. And because of His holiness, or His holiness now demands from us our obedience. Now this is where a lot of us get mixed up. And I have to confess, I didn't get this for a long time. I always thought that my holiness depended on my efforts and I do have to try to be holy. But in my own efforts, I could never be holy enough. And what is my motivation to say that I'm holy? Well, my, my motivation should be to obey the Lord. When I obey the Lord, a side effect of that obedience is holiness. So Hebrews 10.31 says, It's a fearful thing, or it's an awesome thing to come into the presence of a holy God. Scriptures tell us things like, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Paul tells us in Corinthians, uh, Corinthians that you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you. So live your life in holiness to the Lord and consecration to the Lord. Give the Lord your body and your spirit. Hebrews tells us that without holiness, we could never please the Lord or never see the Lord. We could never be aware of what God is doing without holiness. So I wanted, to, I wanted to present to you today ways to be holy, right? But then I thought, well, if I do that, so I can give you ten ways to be holy, I'll give you another ten ways how to, uh, what, what, what to do to be holy, what not to do to be holy. But then I thought, if I do that, then we're more or less like the Pharisees that have a checklist of things. So I do this, 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 or this, now I'm holy, and now I'm holier than you are, because you didn't check all those. you got work to do. So I'm, I'm holier than everybody. And if we do that, then we're no better than Pharisees. So our holiness, it can't be a checklist. There's got to be something deeper than that. And you know, one of these days I want to preach a sermon. I'm going to call it Almost. Almost coming to know Christ. Herod almost did. Pilate almost did. But I read these things. I read that Pharaoh in in Exodus said to Moses, I have sinned. Pharaoh said that. The one who would release the people and bring them back and release them, bring them back. He said to Moses, I have sinned. But he never said, I have sinned before God, God forgive me. He never did that. Just, I have sinned. Balaam also said, I have sinned with the whole donkey incident. I have sinned. But he never said, Lord, forgive me. Even King Saul when he was, had this thing where uh, he, the Lord told him to kill all the animals and he didn't do it, he was so deceived. And he said, I've sinned. But he never repented before God. Even Judas said, I've sinned by shedding innocent blood. But he never repented before God. That's like saying, I'm sorry I got caught. It's a whole different thing than being sorry for offending God. And many times we go through this whole thing where we're sorry we got caught. We're sorry we caused a big problem with everybody. But we're not sorry we offended God. And that should be the first thing on our minds. Then I read about, say, let's say, uh, the prodigal son. That when he came home, the first thing he said to his father was, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God and you. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. He was humble and broken. 
When David was confronted by Nathan the prophet, what did he say? You know, he murdered somebody, he committed adultery, he was sneaky, did all these things, a deceiving person, and he was convicted. The first thing he said was, oh God, I have sinned against you. And so this is what I'm trying to say. For us to be holy, we have to be concerned about pleasing God first. And holiness will come as a side effect of that. So over the years, I've had uh, experiences with many people. Uh, Pastor Wayne, you could probably relate to this when you're worked out at the cafe. Well, sometimes, sometimes I meet with people and, a, and the wrong word slips out of their mouth. You know what I mean? And they say, oh, Pastor Rick, I'm sorry. Oh, hey, it's okay. I, I forgive you. But I'm not the issue. It's God that's the issue. You know? And so some people will tell me, you know, I, uh, I'm drinking. It's, it's not a problem with anybody. No one knows I'm drinking. Well, no one knows, but God knows. It's an offense against God. Someone, you know, they may steal things from work. And someone will say, oh, you're, you're sinning against your boss. Well, you're also sinning against God because you're violating his law. So if you're obedient to the laws of God, you wouldn't be doing those things. So the motivation cannot be to please everybody because we'll always fall short. You can say, well, I'm looking at pornography. It doesn't bother anybody. It's my little personal thing. It's secret. Or maybe, maybe that violates my wife, and oh, I'm sorry, I violated her or whatever. No, well, really, you're violating God. And once we get that mentality that our, whatever our sin is, we're hurting God, we're hurting our relationship with God, the holiness will follow suit when we try to please God. If we try to please everybody else, we're going to fall short. So many of us have this motivation. Well, I want to please everybody. I want to look good and all this stuff. And, and, and those kind of efforts only go so far. If we realize, I really want to please God. I really want to obey God's law. And in that obedience, then we will actually live a holy life. It'll be a byproduct of being obedient to the things that God says to do. So his holiness demands our obedience, and in doing so, we are holy. You know, so we have to get that right in our, in our logic and our thinking. So the second thing about, about the name is that it is a, a compassionate name. Who has had compassion of the Lord poured out upon you besides me? I have two hands up. I've had compassion upon compassion from the Lord over the years. I've had mercy upon mercy from, from God. Um, I've had the, that reckless love that we sang about, that overwhelming love. In spite of everything, his love is constant, and it's there. So when we say the name of the Lord, it's a powerful name. It's a holy name, but it's also a sensitive name and a delicate name, a compassionate name. I, back in, when I first heard the story of Jesus, and, and I knew he was... He was calling me not to be a pastor. He was just calling me to be a Christian. I, I knew he was crying out and reaching out and touching my inner person, my heart. I realized then that God typically, typically reaches out to the oppressed, to the hurting, to the victims of life, through many times through no fault of their own, through the diseased or the sick, the abused, the sinful, the addicted. And he says the same thing to everybody. Come to me. I have compassion for you. Come to me. I have compassion for you. And this is, this is the God that we serve. 
The name of the Lord is a strong tower, but it's a compassionate name. And so we read the story, say, of John chapter 8, the adulterous woman caught in the very act. Everyone's getting ready to stone her. And Jesus said, well, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they put their rocks down. And he says to the woman, where did everyone go? And she said, oh, they all left. And he said, well, I don't condemn you either. either. Just go and sin no more. I'm not condemning you. John 3, 16 and 17 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would be saved. God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. I think of the prodigal son story, Luke 15. When that son came home, and you know the story, but that father did not raise a hand at that boy, did not reprimand that son, did not yell at him. He ran to him, he hugged him, he kissed him, threw a party for him. He had compassion upon his son. So the name of the Lord is a compassionate name. And, and Jesus t- talked a, about this in a parable in Mark 18. I'll just tell you the parable. And tell me if it doesn't bear witness with you. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a king. And this king had a servant. And this servant owed the king, I'll use my, our vernacular, tons of money. He must have borrowed a lot of money for a long time. The servant owed the king a lot of money. And the servant could not pay the king back. There's no way. So he pleaded with the king to let him off the hook, to just cancel the debt. And finally, the king said, okay, I'll have compassion on you. Forget about the debt. Go your way. We'll just settle the account. It's all good. So that servant goes away. But that servant had a fellow servant. That fellow servant owed him a little bit of money. And that servant came to this servant, and he said, listen, uh, I can't pay you back. Uh, Can you let me off the hook? Uh, I can't do it. And the, the servant was really mad and said, no way, I'm not letting you off the hook. You've got to pay me that money back. And he brought him into prison, he had a legal issue with him, and the guy had to work off his debt until he paid all the money back. In the meantime, the king hears about that story. So the king brings the first servant back into his presence, and he says, hey, what's this I hear about this other servant that begged you for mercy? And you didn't have pity on him. You had pity from me, and you didn't show pity on him. So why did you do that? What's going on with you? And he says, you know what? You, you, I'm going to cast you into prison, and you're going to pay me back every penny that you owe me. And it says in verse 35, so my heavenly Father will do to you if you don't forgive and have compassion on your brothers who have offended you. So the, the compassion of God upon our lives is our motivation to be passionate to other people. In fact, this whole thing of compassion is part of the gospel message. Luke 24, Jesus said, go and preach repentance and, and preach remission of sins in, in, in his name. Go into all the world. And so the gospel is the compassion of God. And, and, and the gospel also pertains to the church of God that shows that compassion in real life. So we see people coming into the church. And they're loaded down with their sins and their problems and their issues. And they're coming to God for love and compassion. And God gives it to them. We as the church follow up with what God is doing. And we show them love and compassion too. And so if we've received compassion, we must now give compassion to other people. Amen. The third aspect of the name is that 
His name is an eternal name. It is not just a name. It's an eternal name. Jesus always was and always will be. Jesus was with God during creation. He he always was there. He was always involved in everything that happened. All things that were ever made were made through Jesus. In John 8, 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. In Revelation 1, 8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I am who was and who is and who is to come. See, the Jesus that we pray to all the time is the same Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago. It's the same Jesus that was with God in the very beginning of creation. But it's the same Jesus that is right now preparing a place for us. And when that place is ready, guess what? The trumpet's going to sound and we're out of here. But Jesus will return, the same Jesus. The same Jesus will establish law and order after the battle of Armageddon and set up his, his reign on earth for a thousand years. The same Jesus will then establish a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's an eternal, it's an eternal name and an eternal Savior. And he promises to give us, hallelujah, eternal life. Which only goes hand in hand with what he's all about in the first place. Take your Bible, turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 19. And I just want to read about, about Jesus returning, not for the rapture. After the rapture is the seven year tribulation time. After that seven years... The the second coming of the Lord is is, is happening. But I want to read the account of the story in Revelation 19, starting at verse number 11. It says, Now I saw a heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a rope a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That would be us. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, that he himself will rule them with with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So the same Jesus that we pray to and commune with now has an eternal name and an eternal throne. And he promises to give us eternal life. I always like to tell people, you have your choice. Because everyone who's ever born is going to live forever somewhere. And you only have two options, not three. You have two options. One option is heaven. The other option is hell. That's all there is. Everyone's going to go somewhere for eternity. It's an absolute fact of life. And the only ticket to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only ticket to hell is rejecting that. But I like John 3.16 that Jesus has come. The Father sent his Son that whoever believes would have everlasting life. So in conclusion, the name, the name of the Lord is a holy name. Lord, forgive us if we ever take your name in vain. Lord, forgive us. The name of the Lord is a compassionate name. And we carry that name. We're called Christians, you know. We have the name of Christ on us. As a Christian person, we must be compassionate to people. 
And also we must have a sense of eternity written on our hearts. This helps us cope with the stresses of everyday life. And there's a lot, of, a lot of stresses now. A lot of health issues, a lot of problems. But when I think of my life and, and my eternity with the Lord, it makes this life seem a little bit easier to navigate because I know this is not the all in all. We're just passing through this life to go to the next life. So I wanted to close out by, by reading uh, Hebrews chapter 12. You could turn to it if you want. I'm going to read it. Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 24. But this little passage of Scripture is so loaded with information. But the writer is making a a comparison that the Old Testament believers and Moses went to Mount Sinai. Remember, Moses went there to get the law. But he said, you you don't go to Mount Sinai, you go to Mount Zion, which is uh, the highest place in Jerusalem. But he says in Hebrews 12, 22, "You you come to Mount Zion, you come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is talking about believers. So we, this pertains to us. When we came to Christ, we, I didn't know it. But in essence, we came, we came to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We came to the, an, an innumerable company of angels. We came to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Oh my goodness. That sounds like a... Like a like a, a, a a thing we would go to in our district with the, all the pastors. We go to these general assemblies and these, these things we go. But we're coming to a, a, the general assembly in church of the firstborn. The firstborn meaning we, we're the first generation to receive Christ. Who are registered in heaven. Wow, I never knew that. I never knew that at the time. I said yes to the Lord. My name was written down and I have a registration in heaven reserved for me. I'm registered with all the saints of old, all the saints of generations. My name is in there with everybody else. It's reserved for me when when I get to the other side. So we come to God, the judge of all. We come to the spirits of just men made perfect. Just men, or women, but people, now made perfect. Perfected through, through Christ in death. When we're with him, we'll be perfect at that point. So before that, we can say we're just, we're, we're, we're justified, we're righteous, we're redeemed, but we're not perfect. When we're there, we'll be perfect. Um, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Well, Abel's sacrifice was good. It was acceptable to God. Cain's wasn't. Abel's was. But Jesus' sacrifice and the shedding of his blood was better than Abel's sacrifice. So we come, we are now in this, in, this, in this spot with the Lord where we are registered in heaven. So we travel lightly through this life. We try not to get too worked up with this life. Because we know there's an eternity looking, looking, you know, that we're looking for with the Lord coming. So as we prepare for Holy Communion, I want to just say, communion is a holy time. In fact, when Paul addressed the church in um, 1 Corinthians 11, when he addressed the Corinthian church, he kind of reprimanded them and taught them that how you're having communion is the wrong way. And what they probably did was had a big dinner, and then in the dinner they had a certain point where they took the bread and the, and the, and the wine or the juice. But there were some people there that were neglected. There were cliques there. It wasn't holy. It wasn't reverent. So he said, when you do communion, make sure it's holy. Make sure it's reverent. 
Make sure it's, it's special. He said, you know, when you do communion, make sure you look back at what Christ did for you. He shed his blood on the cross for you. Make sure you look inward to make sure you're right with God. Make sure you look around you. He said, make sure there's peace between you and other people. And make sure you look ahead, because he said, do this until Jesus comes back again. So, I want to take a moment and uh, as we prepare for communion. Does everyone have your little setup, by the way? Does anyone need a setup? Those of you at home, do you have your little piece of bread or cracker and a little cup of juice? Please get it ready. Uh, we're going to show. We're going to present a song right now, uh, as we as we change and get ready for communion. I'm not sure if it will, will be carried on live stream. We'll see. But um, after the song, we'll I'll lead you into the time of communion. So let's go to that song. Oh, 
the Lord. Before we partake of communion, <clears throat> I wonder if there's somebody here today, maybe somebody at home, that feels like you want to surrender to that name. You know all about the name, but you've never really surrendered to the name. And so we want to give you an opportunity to do that before we have communion. So, <clears throat> If you're at home today and you feel that, I can't see you, but um, you can make your peace with the Lord. We're going to pray in just a moment. If there's anyone here, okay, we're going to pray with you. Anyone else feels like I just need to make my peace with God today? Anyone else here? Okay. Let's pray. Father God, oh Lord, we come under the authority of the name of Jesus right now. And as that song just said, thank you, Lord, for dying for my sins. We're forgiven because of what you've done for us. We, we now accept that. We receive that. We confess our need of a Savior, Lord, today. Lord, come into our hearts. Establish or reestablish your presence with us. And we call you Lord. We call you Savior. We call you personal Lord and Savior. So, Lord, come into our lives. Forgive me of my sins and, and cause me to have a healthy relationship with you in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. So at that last supper, Jesus took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do, it, do it in remembrance of me. Lord God, we want to thank you for the broken body of Christ. I want to thank you, Lord, that through his obedience, through his obedience, we now have access to the throne of God. So thank you, Lord, for dying for our sins, for taking the abuse and the, the, the pain that we deserve. Thank you for taking it all, letting us off that hook. Thank you for having compassion on us. But we honor you today and thank you for what you've done to make that possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's partake of the bread together. When Jesus took the cup afterwards, he blessed it and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. People... At, at the table knew that the law was over now. A new time of grace was upon them. And in this cup of the new covenant is not a list of rules of what to do and what not to do, but in this cup is the remission of sins, forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. I've asked Rebecca to come and lead us in a time of prayer of thanks for the shed blood of Jesus. Rebecca, would you do that? Thank you, Jesus. 
Jesus, we can never say thank you too many times. Mm. If we spent the rest of our life thanking you, God, it would still not be enough. Jesus. For your sacrifice was so great, Jesus. We thank you so much, God, that by the shedding of your blood, yes. we are free. Our sins are forgiven. You don't remember our sins anymore, thank Father. You, Thank, Thank you, you Jesus, that the spreading of your blood on that cross, God, has given us freedom. Yes. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, you, where Lord. is your victory? Oh, death, Jesus. where is your sting? Thank Hallelujah. You, Thank you, Thank Jesus. You, because of your blood, we are free. Because yes. of your blood, we no longer have to go to hell and Jesus. die for our sins that we committed against you, Jesus. But you took everything when Jesus. you died on that cross, God. You, you took it all. You paid it all. Thank so, you, Jesus, Lord. we thank you and we praise you Hallelujah. because you are such a good, good God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for yes. me. Even when I was a sinner, Jesus, Jesus. you died for me. Thank Even you, when I did not know you, God, Jesus. you died for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Praise God. Can we stand together? With all this talk about the pandemic and health issues and violence across the world and fires and earthquakes and hurricanes and everything else going on, now the sickness has affected our White House. So many people are, are thinking, well, the Lord must be getting ready to do something all I know is this, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, do this until he comes. So we, we partake of communion until he comes, as a promise that he will be coming. We don't know when, but we do this while we wait, await his return. I wonder if we could um, recite John 3.16 together, and then I'll pray a blessing over the church. Can we say that together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. One more time. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Father, I thank you for this service today, Lord. I thank you for this congregation here in-house. Thank you for those watching and participating on live stream. Lord, now we just pray your blessing over everyone that's involved. Let us leave here inspired. Let us leave here built up and encouraged that we can win this battle. In fact, the battle's already won through Jesus. Lord, we pray that, that our, our understanding of the battle will be focusing on pleasing you. Once we please you, we've got that victory. We, we got it. And, and so, Lord, when we're tempted by sin, when we're tempted by whatever's going on, let us be quick to say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that. And let us be quick to say, Lord God, I'm going to obey you and not the way of the world. Let us go from here, Lord, with power and anointing to make a difference in our lives. Lord, if there's anyone in our families, anyone that we're close to that is not walking with you, we pray for their salvation today. And we thank you. And we claim it. We claim it. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. And everybody said, Amen. 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 God bless you.